Good morning, Evangel. Good to see you here this morning. Would you stand and join us as we worship and praise together? Good morning to you at home. We trust that you, maybe in your pajamas with your cup of coffee, but that you are praising and worshiping with us this morning. We are your church, Lord. We are your church. We are your sons and daughters. We've gathered here to meet with you.
nice to see you on this, uh, not technically quite fall, but it feels a little like fall this morning. Good to see you here. Glad to have you. Welcome to all those of you who are watching from somewhere else. We're glad that you could join us too. So without leaving your seat, why don't you just say hi. I want to extend a very warm welcome. Those of you, maybe this is your first time here or first time back in a while. We want you to know we're happy you're here. And, uh, and so we just want you to know that. So say hi, smile with your eyes. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, the one thing about COVID, it's, uh, it's kind of good for uh, us introverts. Now, you probably laugh because you say, yeah, you're like, you're an introvert. I actually am very introverted. Uh, I just, just overcome that when I need to. But uh, uh, so the nice thing in this time, when I walk into a strange place, uh, I actually don't want people sort of drawing attention to that fact. I just kind of want to slip in there and slip out of there and be left alone. So maybe if you're like that, you know, this is a blessing for you this morning. If you like lots of love and attention and hugs and interaction, well, we'll do the best we can to interact with you outside after, but uh, you'll have to hold on a little longer uh, to get there. But we're glad you're here just the same. Just want to thank those of you who took the time out on Wednesday night to join us online for uh, our uh, prayer gathering this week. It was a beautiful time of prayer. It was so great to uh, be able to do that. And it was nice. There are some members of our congregation who are not able to be here on Sunday mornings. And for them to be able to join us online was a real blessing to see their faces and to hear from them again as well. So uh, thank you very much. I'm going to invite Ross Cree to come. Ross has an announcement this morning. And um, I'm going to give him the opportunity to make that announcement. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody this morning? Good. Happy to be in church? Yeah. I am too. Beautiful day. And I'm off. Oh, I'm sorry. Good. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Didn't do makeup or anything. Okay, uh, I want to speak to you about connection groups. And uh, fall's a great time. We're kicking off all our groups. Um, also, what I really want to extend to you is a, a, some appreciation for the technology that we're able to use today. Because I'm going to tell you, connection group, imagine if this was the 80s. If this was the 80s, I don't know what we'll be doing. We definitely wouldn't have connection groups. Wouldn't have a whole lot of things. But I want to just take your, uh, your um, attention to the screen. And if you can scroll down just a, a little bit, I want to go through the groups that are on the go very briefly. And uh, we are all meeting online until further notice. So it's all through Zoom or Facebook chats. So uh, Ken and Mary uh, McLean, they're leading a, a fellowship group. Meeting time is 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., alternate weeks, every second Thursday. And they're studying the prayer course. And the prayer course is an eight-week journey through the Lord's Prayer. And on there, you can barely see this, I gather, right? Oh, you can sort of see it. You contact Ken and Mary directly, and they will give you any more information that you need. Second group is uh, Harold and Ann Seidenberg. And it's, uh, they're going to be studying 90, uh, Andy Stanley's 90. 90 is a sermon series designed to touch on the significant events of Jesus' life. So they're meeting at 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. every second Sunday. 
Uh, third group, um, they're meeting on Facebook chat room, and that's Beverly Watson and Mary Farrell. And it's a, a Bible study and prayer focus, and they're meeting every second Wednesday, 7.30 to 8.45 p.m. And right now their study focuses on uh, the books of the Bible starting in the Psalms. And uh, community group four, that's my group, that's uh, Gina and Ross. Gina is not here today, but we are going to be doing 12 Neighbors. What does it really mean to love your neighbor? That is a question that's been hindering the church for years. <laughs> and I don't know if we got it yet. But um, we're meeting every second Friday, 7.30 to 9 p.m. Community Group 5 is uh, Perfect Peace, led by Rhoda Chen. And uh, their, study, their, focus on the study, their study focus is, when I don't know what to believe in the book of Hebrews, why, is Jesus, why Jesus is the answer. So you contact everybody individually. I will be in the parking lot at the end of the service to answer any questions or give you any more detail that you need. Other than that, it's a great time for kicking off fall, kick off the, the, the groups. You don't have to join one right away. You can visit ones. They're all online. It's all easy. Okay, so I want to thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ross. I really appreciate it. Ross not only leads, uh, uh, Ross and Gina not only lead one of our small groups, but Ross oversees our small group ministry in general. So thank you for that. And I also want to just say thank you as well. Um, I just want to say thank you to Linda Hillier for 30 years of leading our ladies' Bible study. I mean, that is just unbelievable. And uh, yeah. So thank you, Linda. I don't, I don't even know how to begin to say thank you for a commitment that is, has just been with that type of longevity and uh, the lives that Linda has touched week in and week out. And so thank you, Linda, for 30 years. And then also I want to say thank you to Susan Laird because for the last 10 years or so, Susan has been uh, helping Linda filling in when she's been away and then becoming her assistant and, and sharing the load together. So I also want to say thank you to Susan Laird uh, for her involvement in that ministry as well. Alrighty, kids, JK to grade five, if you just want to head around the back and through the side, leaders, you can head out, and at the end of the service, uh, the, um, yeah, at the end of the service, you can pick your children up here at this door, they'll be brought to this door. Thank you, God bless you as you continue uh, to worship this morning. You can stand and join us this morning. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you.
scripture this morning is found in Acts chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 19 to 23. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Carlene, Chris, Luke, this morning for so beautifully leading us in worship. What an incredible sense of God's presence and encouragement for us here this morning. Well, last Saturday, September the 11th, marked the 20th anniversary of what we've come to know and call 9-11. Many of us can remember where we were when we first heard and watched the news footage in horror. I was pastoring in St. John's, Newfoundland at the time. It was a Tuesday morning. Now, Newfoundland is located in a time zone that's an hour and a half ahead of Eastern Standard Time. When you have something that perfect, it just takes God a little extra to kind of get there. So we're an hour and a half ahead. And so when that first plane hit the North Tower at 8.46 a.m. in New York, it was 10.16 in Newfoundland. 
Tuesday morning was the morning that Our Lady's Bible study met. And by the time the second plane hit the South Tower and the news agencies were carrying the story, the study had wrapped up. I remember gathering around a TV in the Bible study room, watching with disbelief along with my staff and the ladies who had been at the study that day. What I know is that there are defining moments in life that cause us to divide time between life before an event and life after an event. And 9-11 was certainly, without question, a defining moment in our history. Time before 9-11, time since 9-11. Now, many of us have experienced life-defining moments. Moments when things were going well. Moments when in the midst of things going well, we were suddenly disrupted. And the disruption changed our lives forever. Moments that pushed us out of being comfortable into an uncomfortable new reality that was unknown to us. Now, when we experience life-defining moments, we're left asking the question that is the title of this series. Now what? Now what? Last week, I said that in every challenge we face, there's a choice we must make. In every challenge we face, there's a choice we must make. And so last week, we asked the question, are we going to panic or are we going to pray? And we talked about that. The question we need to ask when we are experiencing a life-defining moment of painful disruption is this. Are we going to finish or are we going to fade? Are we going to finish or are we going to fade? Are we going to keep going and allow God to use our circumstances and bring something great out of that? Or are we going to let it defeat us and just give up? Are we going to finish or are we going to fade? Today we're going to consider for a very brief period of time the early church's response to a defining moment of disruption. In fact, when I read the book of Acts, this may be one of the more significant moments and how the decision to finish rather than fade, allow God to propel the church forward to reach people who likely would not have been reached had the disruption not happened. The disruption changed everything and ultimately for the good. And so what we will see today is this. Disruption in our lives creates an opportunity for God to bring blessing out of our pain and our circumstances. So let's begin with our scripture and look at the disruption that we see here. As we read the first few chapters of Acts, we see that the church is seeing great success in Jerusalem. Despite some of the challenges that they had to face, the early church is comfortable in Jerusalem. They were Jews who believed that Jesus was their Messiah, and so they continued to worship in the Jewish temple. They were primarily focused on convincing other Jews that Jesus was the long-expected Messiah. Other Jewish people were accepting the message that they were sharing and becoming a part of a growing community of Jewish Christ followers. Any Gentiles that we read about in the early part of Acts that were joining this community had first converted at some point to Judaism and then from there became followers of Jesus. And so despite their success, 
It was just the beginning of Jesus' plan and mission for his church. Last week we referred to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We'll refer to it again. Jesus had promised his followers that the Holy Spirit was going to come and empower them, and as a result of that empowering, they are going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But up until this moment... They have remained in Jerusalem only. So far, just the first city ministering to Jews only. Jerusalem was the intended starting point, but it wasn't the final destination. There was a world out there waiting to hear the message of Jesus, but they were focused on Jerusalem. Now, in Acts chapter 6, we read that seven deacons were appointed by the apostles to coordinate the care and the distribution of food for widows and orphans within the newly formed church community that was being set up and taken care of. And we're told the name of, of one of these seven, we're told the name of Stephen, one of the seven deacons that was appointed. In Acts chapter 7, we read that Stephen is standing in front of a crowd and he is preaching, and the topic of his sermon is it wasn't seeker sensitive at all. He's actually preaching that the religious leaders that they all knew who were functioning in the temple there in Jerusalem were responsible for the death of Jesus. And so he's preaching this to the crowd, and the religious leaders who are hearing his sermon become very angry at him for what he's saying. Now, as Stephen was speaking, he had a, a divine vision. And in the vision, he saw the glory of God. Specifically, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he told the angry mob what it was that he was seeing in his vision. And specifically, that Jesus was right there at the right hand of the Father. Now, the religious leaders had rejected Jesus as the Son of God. In fact, they killed him because, you know, on charges of blasphemy. That's why he was killed. He was committing the crime of blasphemy because he was claiming to be God. And so for Stephen to share such a vision was also blasphemy for them, and so they, they killed him too. They stoned him to death. Stephen's death was a defining moment in the history of the church. Not only was it devastating for fellow believers who cared for him, who loved him, who were a part of the same community that he was a part of, but it resulted in a great persecution breaking out against the church, we're told. This great persecution was led by a young man named Saul, which we will later come to know as the Apostle Paul. And so mobs went house to house, pulling people from their homes, taking them off to prison. The persecution was fierce, and the enemy's plan was to destroy this young church, this group who were followers of Jesus. As a result of the persecution, most of the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem fled from Jerusalem for their lives, leaving, we're told, the apostles to remain in Jerusalem. Now, to say that this event was disruptive would be an understatement. Everything they had known, all the work that they had done, all of the success that they have had, everything that was familiar to them, seemingly in this moment in time, had been wiped out. It was all gone. And they were running for their lives, and the question that hung in the air was, now what? Now what? Disruption. The second part of the scripture I want us to look at is the decision. As I've highlighted and will continue to highlight in this series, in every challenge we face, there's a choice we must make. The scattered believers, well, they had a choice to make. 
Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit would empower them and that they would carry the mission from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea and ultimately the ends of the earth. And up until now, the Holy Spirit had empowered them and they had enjoyed ministry success in Jerusalem. But now that had changed and it was gone. And so we're, you know, were they going to finish? Were they going to keep going? Were they going to finish what they started or are they going to fade? That was their question. Were they going to keep going or were they going to and allow God to use these circumstances to bring his promises to pass or are they going to let it defeat them? Are they going to give up? Are they going to fade? Well, as we read the scripture we see and the scripture we had, we shared together this morning, they made the decision to finish, not to fade. The Holy Spirit was leading the mission of Jesus from Jerusalem to a place that they wouldn't have expected, Antioch. Leading the vision and the mission from Jews only to now embracing these Gentiles. And it was at this point in the story that things get uncomfortable, got uncomfortable for the early church as they were being led to places and to people that were outside of their comfort zone, outside of their beliefs, outside of their theology, outside of their practices, they were being pushed now to the limits, not just geographically, but spiritually. Now, as we mentioned earlier, some of the believers from Jerusalem church were Greeks who had converted to Judaism. They weren't born as Greeks, but they heard the Jewish message. They became Jews by converting to Judaism and ultimately became followers of Jesus. Now, when these specific Greek believers, those with a Greek background, were pushed out of Jerusalem because of the persecution, they went to places where their language and their cultural differences could be welcomed, somewhere where they kind of fit in a little more. And so some of them went to Antioch, the mother city of Syria. And these followers of Jesus began to speak with the Greeks who were there, telling them the good news about Jesus. Because they were going to finish, they weren't going to fade. And the result is, we're told that they had great success. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, why were they able to have such great success in this city that was completely opposed to the values that these believers held dear in a place where people weren't even comfortable with the idea of God, let alone Jesus? How were they able to be successful there? Well, Luke tells us. Luke says the Lord's hand was with them. The Lord's hand is a metaphor for the power of the Lord. And in Luke's writings, whether you're reading the Gospel of Luke or the book of Acts, when he says these words, the power of the Lord was present, he's actually referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of the Lord. And so Jesus had promised that they would experience the power of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is now empowering them to do this work in the most unlikely of places. The Holy Spirit working through these scattered Greek believers was bringing great success to the kingdom of God as they were reaching fellow Gentiles with the gospel, the good news about Jesus. One thing about being a part of a church when things are happening, good or bad, news travels fast. I don't know what it is, but I think the speed of bad news travels quicker than, you know, good news sometimes. But there's good news here, and this news spreads quickly back to the Jerusalem church. And as they are hearing this news, we're told that, well, there's some concern here. Because you also have to realize that up until this point, the apostles were the ones doing the heavy lifting. And all of a sudden now, not only is it not happening in Jerusalem, not only is it not only happening with Jews only, but now it's happening in a Gentile territory amongst Gentile people, and it's being led by people who aren't on the apostle level. You know, this is kind of below their pay grade. And so there's some concern here. Is, is this okay? 
Is this okay for this to be happening? Is, is this a legitimate thing? Is, there, is it all right? And so they decided that they needed to send someone, and one of the most respected, trusted members of their group in Jerusalem was Barnabas. And they said, Barnabas, we need you to go to Antioch, and we need you to determine the validity of what's happening there. You need, you need to find out if this is a good thing or not. And so Barnabas arrived in Antioch and immediately observed evidence of the grace of God. I love, I love that sentence. I could just detour now and go for 40 minutes on a whole different theme, but I won't, I won't do that. But the grace of God. Yeah, these undeserving outsiders are experiencing what? The grace of God. And what did Barnabas do? He rejoiced in what was happening there. Because Barnabas understood the grace of God. And when he saw it in action, he was just thrilled. The joy just welled up in him. And he was just rejoicing. In fact, not only was he filled with joy when he saw what was happening, but he said, you guys need to keep doing exactly what you're doing. Don't stop doing what you're doing. Stay true to the Lord with all of your hearts. Just keep going. Folks, their decision to finish and not fade, their decision to not let a life-defining disruption rob them of Jesus' promise for them resulted in God's work continuing and things being accomplished that never would have been accomplished had they stayed comfortably in Jerusalem. The church was forced to face a reality that was uncomfortable for them, but they chose to embrace it and allow God to work through it. Now, all of us have experienced or likely will experience disruptions in our lives that will result in life-defining moments to varying degrees. Moments when things were going well and they were suddenly disrupted and the disruption literally changed our lives forever. Moments that push us out of our comfortable and familiar lives into the uncomfortable, unfamiliar reality of the unknown. We haven't been here before. Moments that, uh, in, that cause us to ask, now what? Now what? Moments in life that will cause us to divide time between life before the event and life after the event. Now, as we sit here today or as we're listening from somewhere else, we can, you know, go to our own lives in this moment and, and we realize that, that we have divided moments of our lives. Some of us, it was the death of a loved one. And so we can look at our lives and we see our lives from the perspective of what it was like before they left us and what life has been like since they left us. For others, it may be the end of a marriage or a relationship. What our lives were like before the relationship ended and what our lives are like now since it ended. For others, it's a family tragedy. What life was like for our family before the tragedy and what life is like for our family now since the tragedy. For others, it's a serious health issue. What was life was like before the diagnosis versus what life is like since the diagnosis. It may have been the harmful impact of another person. What your life was like before someone hurt you so deeply that it damaged you so significantly that it divides your life between the time before that happened and what's going on since you've been hurt at that level. For all of us, it's a global pandemic. How life used to be before COVID and what life will look like after it's over, believing by faith that eventually it will be over. You know, some people, a lot of people have made the statement to me, you know, they can't wait to go back to how it was. But we're not going back to how it was. The world has changed. 
the church has changed. And in many ways, I think, for the better. And how I describe it sometimes is that I think sometimes we think of our world right now in terms of like a computer where you, you shut it down and you turn it off, and then later when you're ready to use it again, you just reboot it and you bring it back on and you pick up where you left off. And I think a lot of people think that that's how life is going to be. But I want to tell you today, as, as discouraging as it might be, that's not how this is going to work. This is going to be more of a reset And I see that there is a positive in here for the church because I think there were some things that we were and that we were doing before this that needed to change, and this is going to help us get there, to put our priorities back in place and start doing things the way we probably should have been doing them for a long time. And so these are all life-defining moments. I, I don't think that any of us, I doubt that any of us will live our lives exempt from the disruption of difficult life-defining moments. In fact, some of us are going to experience more than one of them, sadly. And the impact of these disruptions can be very painful. They can be confusing, disappointing, frustrating, and they can ultimately have an impact on our faith because disruptions have have a way of causing us to doubt God's care to doubt God's protection, to doubt his provision for us, to doubt the promises of God in our lives. Life-defining moments can really shake us up and cause us to really question our faith. Difficult life-challenging disruptions can result in us walking away from faith altogether because we ask ourselves, What's the point in serving God if these painful disruptions are going to come into my life anyway? I recently read a statistic. It's early, I know. But what researchers are seeing is that about 30% of people who attended churches pre-pandemic are not coming back. They've walked away from church. They've walked away from faith. They are not coming back. Because life-changing disruptions have a way of shaking us to the core. Now, I want you to know something this morning. Some of you know me really well. I'm a very transparent person. I've been here what seems like 100 years, right? You know me. Some of you don't know me at all. Some of you may be watching today. You don't know anything about my story. But I want you to know something today. I'm not sharing these things based solely on observation or theory, or a latest book that I got myself into. I have lived this reality. In fact, I continue to live this reality in my own life. This is not theory for me. This is is reality. This is life. I have personally experienced multiple life-changing moments in my life that have been and continue to be extremely painful. And at times, they seem hopeless. I too. I've had those moments of tough conversations with God. You've probably had them too. Mine can be really nasty. I get it. There's been lots of them. And God seems to be okay with it. I don't sense his abandonment yet. Where I really share the deep pain of my life and the reality. You know, because for 30 This is my 34th year of giving my life completely to full-time ministry. And I've said to God in the beginning, my life is yours. The only thing I ask in return is you take care of my family. And there's days where I have the, God, you had one job. One job, right? Seriously, you had one job. Is this the reality? I've had those moments. I get it. I'm not just talking in theory. But I want you to know today that in my darkest, most hopeless moments, the Holy Spirit reminds me that the God that I have devoted my life to serving is a redemptive God. A redemptive God. And there's sometimes I have to get my head around what that means. 
that my God is a God who redeems things, who redeems people, who redeems circumstances and realities. Our God is a redemptive God. Our God is a God whose specialty is bringing good out of a bad situation. That's the God we serve. The God we serve is a God that takes what the enemy intends for evil and miraculously turns it for our good. That's the God we serve. The God we serve is a God who promises to restore what the locusts have eaten. That's the God we serve. And sometimes he does return to us what we have lost. And sometimes he brings positive things out of the things we've lost. Now, I want you to know that I believe to my core today that God will accomplish things in and through my life because of the difficult, life-changing disruptions that never would have been possible otherwise. I believe that. Because I want you to know that I already see people differently, some of them. Well, I see all people differently, some not so good, though. and some for the better. I've already had opportunities to relate to others who are experiencing difficult, life-changing disruptions in ways that I want to tell you. I would have sat across from them before. I would have had compassion. I would have held their hand. I would have hugged them. I would have cried. I would have listened. But I wouldn't have been able to get it. But now I get it. Our difficult, life-changing disruptions have made us, all of us, if we make the decision to finish and not fade, these moments make us more authentic followers of Jesus. Now, I think it's a shame that we have to emphasize the word authentic in the context of a church community, but you know and I know that something that has been missing for the church for the last 40 years is authenticity. That really what you see is what you get, that people are real. And that is something that God is changing and and is taking pain and hardship to rip that away from us, the fakeness and the the front we put on and the image we put out there to get to to the core of who we are. God is changing that in us and the disruptions are helping us become more authentic followers of Jesus. We're more real. Our difficult life-changing disruptions have made us more like Jesus. Our difficult life-changing disruptions have made us more equipped to serve Jesus. And to serve others in ways we weren't equipped before. Now, I know many of you can relate to what I'm saying. This is resonating with you because this is the journey that you're on and you're sorting through this and you're seeing this in your own life. And it's not what you would have picked. And trust me, I wouldn't have picked it either. I don't want all of this. That's not what I wanted. It's not what I planned. It's not what I saw coming. But are we going to finish Or am I going to fade? That's the question we have to ask ourselves in the defining moment of painful disruptions. Are we going to keep going? Are we going to allow God to take what the enemy intends for evil, to take our circumstances, our pain, our disappointment, our heartache, take it and do something with that that you just sit back and think, how in the world could God ever take that and bring something so amazing out of it? Are we going to let him do that? Or are we going to fade and just let it defeat us and just give up? I'm going to invite our worship team back. Folks, I want to remind you again this morning, disruption in our lives creates an opportunity for God to bring blessing out of our pain and our inconvenience. And I don't know where you are in your walk with God this morning as you're listening from home or elsewhere or here in this building I don't know what it is that you're facing specifically. Some of you I have idea because I've been walking with you through it.
But I don't know what difficult, life-changing disruption you might be facing today. But what I do know, and it's not from theory, but what I do know is this. If you are willing to give these painful, hopeless moments to God, I can't explain it, but he will miraculously bring something out of those moments that you could never have imagined, and you will accomplish things in your life for him and for his kingdom that you never would have been able to accomplish otherwise. I want you to stand with us this morning, and in a few moments, I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't fade. Decide you're going to finish. That you're going to keep going. That you're going to trust God in everything. Even the painful, disruptive, life-changing realities. Carlene, would you lead us? There is strength within the sorrow. in the fire.